This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, May 12, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security topics include an update on the Disney World AirTag kerfuffle, Google, Apple, and Microsoft want to ditch passwords. And we spend some time discussing the legacy of the iPod as Apple formally discontinues the last of the line, the iPod Touch. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? Um, a little bit sad. We'll get to that in a second. But how many weeks has it been now? Six weeks ago. Apple released an update for macOS Monterey that fixed two in-the-wild, actively exploited, zero-day vulnerabilities. And here we are six weeks later now, still no updates for macOS Big Sur or Catalina. So as a reminder, if you still haven't upgraded Big Sur or Catalina to Monterey, it's time to do it. Okay. We talked last week about a family who went to Disney World in Florida, and one of the teenage children was getting alerts that an air tag was around and got these alerts for four hours, and they looked around and they couldn't find it. Well, it turns out that this is a bug. We'll link to an article on The Verge where they explain that air tags are sending a new kind of false alarm report says Apple's anti-stalking features still need some fine-tuning. I mean, when I heard it, I was a bit surprised because they looked for the AirTag and they couldn't find it. And, you know, you can make it play a sound when you've been alerted that an AirTag's following you and they couldn't find it. So this is really a bug. And this is really worrisome. I kind of wonder if you think in Disney World, maybe there's a lot of people with AirTags in their knapsacks or whatever. And so they're getting pinged a lot. And maybe somehow in certain phones that this is overloading them or something. Yeah. Initially, when we first heard the story, it sounded like something where, uh, yeah, okay, in a giant theme park with, you know, you've got hundreds of people nearby you at any moment, right? Especially if you're standing in a really long line, there's lots of big crowds in places like this. So it's definitely plausible, I would say, that you could get an alert like this for a legitimate reason, but not necessarily because someone is actually stalking you, but just because someone happens to be nearby you. So it is interesting that an Apple spokesman actually acknowledged that there are some scenarios where a bug could cause these alerts to to pop up as well. So it's it's nice to know that Apple is working on improving that so you won't have as many false alarms. Last week, I mentioned that there was a new firmware update for AirTags. It's 1.0.301. Now, to check the firmware of your AirTags, you go into the Find My app. You find an AirTag, then you tap on its name. I noticed that mine have not updated yet. And all my AirTags are in this room, my home office, and my phone is always, you know, eight hours a day is in this room, and they haven't updated yet. You can't force the update. It just happens on its own, which is the same with AirPods, for example, which just had a new update this week as well. You just have to wait until it happens. Now, this firmware update is using louder tones to alert people, and it's alerting people sooner that they're being followed. So I, I kind of wish there was some way... You can't really force an update like this, but I kind of wish there was some way that you could say, hey, I'm really ready for this update. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that iOS updates can take several weeks to roll out to people, which is really dangerous. For AirTags, it's a bit less dangerous, but you really have no control. You know, I think of other Apple devices like the HomePod, for example. You can't force an update, but if you go into the Home app, when there's a new update, 
and you open up the settings for a HomePod, it will check and then it will offer to update. Otherwise, it will just update when it wants to. It's pretty similar to the Apple TV, I think, as well. Yeah, I, I know with my Apple TV, occasionally I'll check for updates and, and notice that there's an update that hasn't been installed yet. So I, getting back to the AirTag, though, it seems like this is something that could be solved relatively easily. Now, maybe not if you've lost an AirTag, you know, it's in a underneath a bush in a park or something like that. And it, I can understand why that might not be able to get updates. But if you've got an AirTag that's near you in your home, right, where you've got your iPhone nearby, you've got your Wi-Fi network, I don't see a reason why AirTag shouldn't be able to get these updates. It seems like there ought to be some, and I know the AirTags are very small, very simple devices, right? But it does seem like if there's some sort of ping, right? If, if anytime that an AirTag is nearby, there ought to be some sort of just push, right? To notify that device to check for updates, you know, that now is a good time to check. Okay. Google, Apple, and Microsoft want to sort of get rid of passwords. And I find this really interesting. There is something called FIDO, which means Fast Identity Online. And this is one of these alliances, like they call them, you know, these tech sort of umbrella groups that work with multiple companies, multiple vendors. The idea is that you should be able to use your phone to log in on other devices. So the example, we'll link to an article in Fast Company. The example given is that you could use an Android phone to log into your account in Safari on a Mac or an iPhone to log in on Edge on a Windows PC. And... The metaphor that I came up with is think about Apple Pay. You can use Apple Pay to pay anywhere, and it uses NFC, and this is probably going to be using NFC and Bluetooth and a combination of things. And it just makes sense that there should be some way that you're on someone else's computer and you're in the browser and you want to log into an account – and you don't want to look up your password on your phone because it's a 72-character random password, and you know how hard it is to type that. And there should just be a way where, I don't know, you double-press the side button the way you do with Apple Pay, which does the same thing as one of these USB security keys. Also consider that what if your friend <laughs> maybe is not so friendly after all, and they have a keystroke logger installed, and they are recording your password when you type it in, right? Another scenario would be if you're in a public place, maybe in a computer lab, or maybe you're using one of the uh, internet connected computers in a hotel lobby or something like that. These are scenarios where you probably should not be typing in your password if you can avoid it. So this could be a potential solution for that, where you need to actually have your device physically with you. You're not having to type a password into that machine then. And then once you're done, you log out. And theoretically, it should be impossible for somebody to come along later and get into your account. Yeah, the, the password as a concept is dangerous because we want something that's memorable because we want something that's not too long, that's easy to type. And we're getting past that now with password managers and the built-in keychain in macOS and iOS, et cetera. But there are still cases where we'll need to enter those passwords 
someone else's computer, a new device, that sort of thing. So I'm looking forward to this. Now, this could be one of those things that takes years to actually roll out, and it'll probably be rolling out for enterprise first. Because think about people who are traveling to a different office and want to be able to access their account. And you're in a hotel business center and you need to access some of your accounts. So this is something that's more for enterprise than for everyday people. But it is an interesting idea and it's chipping away slowly at the password, which probably will never entirely disappear. But it would be great if we could eliminate a lot of password use because of all the dangers involved in entering passwords. One thing that I have to say is really nice about this is that Apple, Google, and Microsoft are all getting together. They're all on board with this. That's something that you don't necessarily see all that often. And and in the official press release on the Fido Alliance website, they actually include Apple as part of that of that press release in an official capacity. If you scroll down to the bottom, it has the about the Fido Alliance, Apple, Google, and Microsoft. They all get the about the company blurbs. You know, it's got Apple's official Apple revolutionized personal technology and so forth. You know, I'm not surprised that Apple and Google and Microsoft were involved because we, we talked recently about Thread and Matter, these smart home protocols, and they're all involved with this. And I think... On a certain level, these companies have realized that, yes, they can have their own operating system, they can each have their walled garden, but there is a need for more interoperability. And we see this in the way that they work with Wi-Fi standards and Bluetooth and things like that as well. Okay, I said earlier that I was sad. It's been 20 years and it's the end of an era. It's Requiem for the iPod. And we knew this was coming. There was only one iPod left, the iPod Touch. Now, curiously, last week I wrote an article, 17 Reasons Why You Should Use an iPod Touch in 2022. And eight days later, Apple has discontinued the iPod Touch. What are the odds? When Kirk and I were discussing the potential for him to write this article, we did talk about this. We're like, you know, it's been a long time. It's been a while since Apple's updated the iPod Touch. They went a really long time, maybe between the 6th and 7th gen. Is there a good use case? Like, why would somebody want to use an iPod Touch today? Well, first, let's just take a quick walk down memory lane and talk about the iPod. I'm going to link to an article I wrote last year about the 20th anniversary of the iPod, and this was in October. How many iPods have you had? I know that you're not a real music guy and you're a bit of a cheapskate, so you don't buy a lot of things, but you've had several iPods over the years, right? I've actually only had one official iPod so, and this was the iPod video, I think it was called. So it, it had a, a nice small screen. It had the, the little jog wheel and everything like that. And it was the, I think the first model that they were advertising that it could play videos on this little screen. Yeah, it's about 2002, I think, 2003, something like that. I'm just looking through a list of the various iPod models, and I've had so many of them, from the iPod Shuffle and the iPod Mini. I did not have the iPod U2 Special Edition. I will admit that I did not buy that one. And that was a really, that was a one-off, wasn't it? That link between Apple and U2 has always been weird. I'm surprised they didn't do any other special editions for artists. One that I would have liked to see was a Grateful Dead special edition, particularly because the Grateful Dead have this wonderful circular logo that would look great on the click wheel. But I guess they realized that this was just not going to tempt enough people to buy iPods. But over the years, I've had almost every different iPod model except for the first few. 
the iPod Nano that you could actually get a strap and wear it as a watch. Apple didn't sell the strap, but it was probably a little bit bigger than the current Apple Watch. But you could get a strap and then the the funny iPod shuffle with no buttons. It was really tiny. That was a weird one. I, I loved the memes ba- back then about, oh, Apple's going to come out with an iPhone shuffle. And, you know, you just press a button and it randomly calls a friend <laughs> of yours. Yeah. But you see, it met a need at the time, didn't it? And and Apple was riding a wave of of popularity because of this device. And so they iterated in many ways. If you look at... Well, the different types of iPod shuffle, and there was the mini and the nano and the different types of nano because it came in many different shapes. It's true that not only did this cement Apple's position as a creator of small devices before the iPhone came out, but it also showed that they had a wide range of ideas for design in this device. By the way, the the generation that I had, the iPod video, as I called it, was the fifth gen, and that came out in 2005. So I, I wasn't on board right away. The very first iPod came out in October 2001, if you can believe that. That's a long time ago. So the iPod line really had been around for quite a while. My first was the iPod dock connector in 2003. So that was the one that had those four little buttons above the scroll wheel that that lit up in red, I think, with little LEDs behind it. Because the first two, I don't think were available in France. I was living in France at the time. Anyway, let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about the iPod, in particular about the iPod Touch. 17 reasons to use an iPod Touch. Even if the iPod Touch is officially discontinued, they're still valid. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. So, why would you want to use an iPod Touch today? I'm going to link to my article on the Intego Mac security blog. The first reason is it's a small device with a headphone jack. It's one of only two devices that have a headphone jack. The ninth generation iPad still has one, uh, probably because it's used in education. So, you know, they don't want to be messing around with Bluetooth headphones. But the iPod Touch was the last device in your pocket with a headphone jack. 
as we were discussing, like, w- whether Kirk should write an article about this, this was definitely one of the reasons that we came up with why people might actually still want to use an iPod Touch, because there's not a single iPhone today that has a headphone jack. And in fact, you have to go back several generations of iPhone to find one that has a headphone jack. The last iPhone models that still had a headphone jack were the iPhone 6S, which came out in 2015, and the iPhone SE first generation, which came out in 2016. Um, and they were sold, I think, as late as 2018 for the SE first gen. Those had an A9 processor, so it's a one generation earlier than the current and final iPod Touch, which has an A10 processor. And when I say processor, I, I really mean system on a chip. Apple kind of calls it the system on a chip because it includes GPU and kind of all those other things too. It's not just the CPU. I think for most people using an iPod Touch, they don't care too much about the processor. However, this does affect which operating system it can run. The seventh generation iPod Touch can run the current iOS 15. The previous generation stops at 12.5. The previous generation, you said it was a long time. It was three years between the sixth and seventh generation iPod Touch. But yes, the headphone jack is definitely something. And I'm thinking, you know, you see people running with something on their upper arm holding a device in it, right? These people probably don't want to use Bluetooth headphones and having a headphone jack for some of those sports earbuds that you clip onto your ears or they go around the back of your head. You know, if you're running and you're active, you don't want them to fall out. And that would be really good because it's only 88 grams, 3.1 ounces. It's a really, really light device. Yeah. Just for comparison's sake. So 88 grams is how much the iPod Touch 7th Gen weighs. Compare that to 113 grams for the iPhone SE second gen, uh, which is a somewhat similar comparable model in terms of like how much it costs if you were to go buy one today. And also the iPhone uh, 7 is a 138 grams. The iPhone 6S and SE, which were the last iPhones that had a headphone jack, those weighed 143 grams. That's a lot more than the 88 that the iPod weighs. To be fair, you might not notice that much of a difference, but it's the thinness, it's the ability to, you probably, it's it's probably light enough that you don't pay attention to it compared to a thicker, heavier iPhone. One of the things I kind of like about the iPod Touch is it doesn't receive phone calls. Now, yes, you can buy an iPhone and not put a SIM card in, but you're not bothered. You may be able to use an iPod Touch for almost anything except for phone calls. And you might even want to turn off messages and not get text messages, turn off email, hide all of that, and use it for other things, not only just playing music. We'll get to some other uses in a minute, but you can get a more or less distraction-free device like the original iPod. Well, I I guess the distraction-free experience kind of depends on your use case as well as how you have the device configured. Because you're going to have to sign into your Apple ID on an iPod Touch in order to download apps and things like that. But you can choose to opt out of getting FaceTime calls and iMessages on your device as well. Now, if, if you're primarily using it while you're out jogging, and you know you're not going to be carrying like a hotspot on you if you're carrying the iPod Touch for the purpose of just listening to music, right? So you probably will not be near a Wi-Fi network. You're not going to get push notifications regardless of what settings you have turned off. So in that scenario, absolutely a much more distraction-free experience than getting phone calls and text messages while you're out for a jog. So you can use it to listen to music. You can sync music from your Mac or your PC. You can use Apple Music. It's got 
802.11ac Wi-Fi, so it's fast. You can listen to audiobooks and podcasts. You can even read books. Uh, I kind of like the small screen. I, I sometimes read on my iPhone using the Kindle app or Apple's Books app. And the difference here is it's very, very light. You could even tape it to the back of an airplane seat or something and it won't fall off because it's so light. No, it is a very flexible device. Now, one use case that I thought of is to leave in the car. You might want to just leave it in the car to have music, to have audiobooks, to have podcasts. While you're taking your iPhone with you, you just leave it in the car, you plug it in, you charge it, and you don't have to worry about what content is going to be available because you just fill it up whenever you're going to travel. Of course, if you are going to do that, make sure to keep it out of view <laughs> when you're parked and not in your vehicle. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> But that's not a bad idea. And, and in fact, it, it is kind of still an extra step, right? You've got to preload it with whatever you want to put on it. But, uh, but if you, let's say you're listening to a really long book or you've got like a whole back catalog of some particular podcast that you want to listen to every episode, you could easily load it up and maybe listen to it for, for weeks at a time without having to synchronize it again. Yeah. Another thing that I find really useful is you can use it as a remote control for a lot of different devices. You can control music you're playing on your Mac. And so what I often do is I will use my iPhone or an iPad to control music on my Mac that I'm streaming to another device. Rather than stream the music from the iPhone or the iPad, because, well, it's not there and there's a lot more on my Mac. So you can use it to control that. You can control an Apple TV. You can use it to control your smart home. And this would be a good use to just keep this in one of those little lightning connector docks in a place that's central to everyone in the family so they can just open it up and access things like smart home controls. This is actually a really interesting use case because a lot of people complain about the remotes that come with the Apple TV, right? Whether it was the previous version that had the glass and it was easily breakable, um, or even the current model, which a lot of people don't necessarily like that version of it either. And they're all small, right? They can get lost super easily in the couch or who knows where they get lost. And so the iPod Touch is a little bit bigger and you can easily get to a version of the remote that fills your screen through the control center. So you just swipe and tap a button. Now you've got an Apple TV remote right there. It's the same for controlling smart home stuff. You can do that from control center, which means that the people who use it don't have to unlock the device. You can have control center available when the device is locked. So you don't have to worry about people accessing your iCloud account, for example. They just swipe up. I think it'd be swiping up on an iPod Touch instead of swiping down because it's older. But it's a way to provide access to a number of features like that. Now, it doesn't have Face ID. It doesn't have Touch ID. It feels a bit nostalgic to have to put your passcode in all the time, like listening to a vinyl record or something. One thing I like about it is that you can use it as a small device and you can just unplug, turn your iPhone off, use your iPod Touch for your music, your podcast, your controls and whatever. Don't get harassed by messages and phone calls. Use it as that device to unplug for the weekend maybe sometimes. And finally, you can put the iPod Touch in an iPod sock. Do you remember those? They came out in 2004. I remember my son absolutely had to have iPod socks. You got five in a box for 20 bucks or something like that in five colors. I've got a photo in my article of my iPod Touch in a, I'm going to call it a fuchsia 
iPod sock. That's one of the weirdest Apple products ever, but it is a way to protect your iPod Touch if you need to protect it. Now, technically, you, you could put an iPhone in an iPod sock, but uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't be it wouldn't match the iPod tag. That's well, no, my iPhone 13 Pro is too big to go into the iPod sock. Oh, if you used like the current SE, it just barely fits in height. But the wider the iPhone, the more it stretches the sock, and then it's going to lose its shape after a while. Gotcha. Okay. So iPod socks, <laughs> if you yep. still got them around. <laughs> <laughs> so since this was announced, apparently, so Apple said this is available while supplies last from the online Apple store. I don't know if retail stores stocked iPod touches. They probably had a handful. But they're starting to sell out in certain configurations. Now, I think there's six colors. There's three different levels of storage. So that's 18 different versions. I think a lot of people are realizing, you know what? I wouldn't mind having one of these because of all these wonderful things you can do. I mean, I came up with 17 things, but you could find plenty of others. Worth noting on Amazon UK, the base model at 32 gigabytes is 20 pounds off. So it's 180 instead of 199. Some of the different models and different Amazons are discounted. So if you do want one, you should grab it now because what could be happening is a lot of people are buying them up to sell them on eBay, that this could become a sort of a nostalgic Apple device being the last iPod. Right. Now, if you're just interested in the more like practical aspects of it, hey, I just want something like an iPhone, but I just want it cheap it, and I don't want it to have cellular connectivity. You can actually get older iPhone models. Again, it kind of depends on what you're really looking for, right? If if you want that headphone jack, you can still get an iPhone 6S if you shop around, especially on places like eBay, you can probably find some there. Even some that are new in box has never been opened, right? Same with the iPhone SE first gen. You might even be able to find those cheaper than an iPod Touch. So it, it kind of depends on what your use case is. That might be a little too heavy for you. Again, that was a, a bit heavier model. But, you know, it, it could still serve the, some of the same functionality that an iPod Touch could. So, you know, don't panic. If, don't feel like you have to rush out and buy an iPod Touch 7th gen. You can still get other devices that uh, have a lot of the same functionality. Worth pointing out, the iPhone SE, when it was first launched, came in two versions, 16 and 64 gigabytes. 16 is not a lot. The iPod Touch starts at 32. Now, unless you really have a lot of music that you want to carry around with you, if you just want to use the iPod Touch for some of the things that I mentioned, you don't need to pay more for the extra storage because it's $199 for the 32, $299 for the 128 and $399 for the 256 gigabyte. And that's a lot, $399 for that. So I think at 199 or 180 on Amazon, this is a pretty good device to have around to do all these little things that you might want to be able to do. Right. And and you know what? It remains still a good device to, to give to a kid. You know, if you don't want them to have internet connectivity wherever they go and just want to have them be able to get online when they're at home. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. 
The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.